So welcome to our discussion. Um, it's uh, Larry Berger and myself, Serge Pringle. We are going to um, each talk a little bit and uh, then start the discussion. And at some point, we're going to invite you to uh, uh, share your questions or comments to enrich the discussion. Um, Larry and I have talked quite a bit about this topic, and we have both a lot of things in common, which makes a discussion possible, and differences, which makes a discussion interesting. So this is not a debate in the sense of trying to win a debate or win an argument. Um, this is a way to uh, first continue the kind of discussion that he and I have been enjoying and uh, sharing it with other people uh, with the hope that what it does is hearing some arguments, hearing the way uh, we each think, trying to delineate some positions, some similarities and a lot of differences will actually stimulate you uh, to uh, in articulating how you feel about this topic. So without further ado, I'm going to give the mic to uh, Larry. Very good. Thanks a lot, Serge. I really appreciate being here. And I'm grateful to you for uh, putting together this session on this very rich topic. Now, we're supposed to be representing different perspectives, but I think Serge would agree that these positions are very close. Now, he seeks meaning by living in the moment. In the moment. And I think meaning is ultimately about how we fit in the grand scheme of things. These things are not incompatible. In fact, I'd argue that staying in the moment or mindfulness is, is how we connect with something higher. So they're very much related. Another way to think about the two perspectives is in the relation between Eastern and Western philosophy. I assume uh, most of you are well acquainted with Eastern, but perhaps not so much with Western philosophy. My focus is on how that can help us understand why mindfulness can open us to the divine. Although the truth of this is hardly apparent in today's chaotic world. But we here know the truth. And because we experience it, I believe it's our duty to our fellows, particularly in these perilous times, to try to educate them. That's what Western philosophy offers, a way to provide reasons for why things are the way they are. We need spiritual leadership. And I think philosophy can help. The approach I think is most promising is that offered by phenomenology with thinkers such as Edmund Husserl and Martin Heidegger. Husserl is famous for what he calls the epoche or the bracketing of beliefs about the ultimate nature of things. So we can focus on how life actually takes place from moment to moment, which sounds a lot like Serge's perspective. And Husserl's famous student, Martin Heidegger, 
is in my view, the ultimate spiritual philosopher. Even though lots of people see him as an atheist and a Nazi. Mindfulness is very important for Heidegger. And he attracted a lot of interest from Eastern philosophers because his approach can be more convincing to those who prefer to think for themselves rather than relying on authorities. Now, one thing that Heidegger argues is that we belong here. We are not accidentally placed in the cosmos, although Serge may differ a bit on this issue. One way to argue this is that the universe produces and sustains us. So we're already part of something greater than ourselves. My approach is to define mindfulness as acute and sustained attentiveness and define attention as our presence in the world, our presence. So as such, attention trans any dichotomy between self and world because we're in the world, we're ecstatic is the term that uh, Heidegger uses. So yeah, we transcend any dichotomy, mental or physical, self or world. The point is that we're not stuck in our minds. There's no wall between us. There's no barrier between us and the world, but rather the core, the very core of our being is spiritual. It moves freely from our lived bodies to the outer. So I argue that the core of our being that presence is spiritual. It's an invisible presence in the world. So we're not reduced to something physical. We're more like beams of light. And who's to say that we don't belong here then? Because what would the cosmos be like without light? In fact, my own view is that attention is the divine spark. So this position resonates with Meister Eckhart and, and Judaic thought among many others. Now, attention is very important in our daily lives and in many academic disciplines. So my approach is to argue that it is how we experience anything at all. And that when we gather our attention, which is the essence of mindfulness, a real space opens. This is not just a, an experience, right? <laughs> just in our minds, no. We're in the world, we're real. And when we hold open a space, we hold space, we clear a space. That is a real event. That's what Heidegger calls a being event. Okay. And what that enables, the political implications are large. People talk about public space in political philosophy. So if we hold open this real space, that's where the core of a community, that's our core that joins in that space. We can bond together and there, therefore pursue visions of the common good. That's why, in my view, so many groups are forming where people engage in mindfulness to deal with trauma, community issues, or just to connect on a deeper level with others. I think that's our best hope to prepare for a difficult future. We're stronger when we bond together to work for the common good. So I thank you and I'll turn it back to Serge. Thanks, Larry. So um, the different perspective, almost literally, um, is for me, um, the difference between looking 
from the top down versus looking from the bottom up. Um, and I'm a therapist. And like many therapists these days have been very influenced by trauma-informed perspectives, which themselves have had a lot to do with um, all the research in neuroscience and evolutionary psychology. And uh, the phrase top-down versus bottom-up is one that we use a lot in my milieu. Um, you know, to make the difference between uh, psychology as traditional psychology was in the past um, with a sense of um, human exceptionalism, uh, a sense of the uh, um, uh, cognition uh, being driving what it's like to be a human being. Uh, and in contrast, the top-down version is how there is a continuity between other animal forms and us, and how essentially um, a lot of how we function has to do with simple, implicit, unconscious processes. Uh, and essentially that's the top-down part. Uh, and it's not about a question of saying it's all top-down uh, as opposed to all bottom-up, but simply recognizing the importance of the top-down, uh, the uh, bottom-up versus the top-down. And so uh, from that place, it's, um, you know, the, as, a, as a therapist, you, you really don't just use ideas um, in abstraction, but you practice them because you know when you see clients and you work with them, um, essentially the perspective you have is something that is um, used moment by moment to make sense of what's happening. So the perspective that I'm suggesting in terms of uh, philosophy and spirituality is more of that bottom-up perspective which is that a lot of the way we make sense is not something that is at an intellectual level in a top-down way in uh, you know, agitating ideas and trying to make sense of them in some kind of intellectual way, but essentially a lot of the making sense is something that happens implicitly and consciously in our body that our body, and, and I include the brain in the body, I'm not making a distinction between body and mind, I'm, I'm just using the whole organism. You know, so I'm using body as opposed to simply talking about the, the brain alone or the mind alone, the psyche alone, trying to make sense of the world. But a lot of what happens is essentially that our organism, uh, as all living organisms, interacts with the world. Everything is interaction. And in that interaction, basically, um, you know, much of the interaction, if not most of it, is something that happens at an unconscious implicit level. So a great example of that is, say, you take a sunflower and the sunflower orients with the sun. And it doesn't need a mind and it doesn't need a willpower to do that. And so a lot of our functioning is something that has these kinds of bottom-up processes. 
And what we have with the brain is we have the ability to actually go further than that uh, and to complement the information that we get through these processes. And a lot of what also we do with the brain is have access to these processes that the brain essentially monitors the information that we get through our senses uh, and derives from that a sense of being in the world. So, you know, I'm not going to talk much more because we're going to uh, discuss, you know, it's going to be an exchange of ideas between Larry and me, but I wanted to uh, first, you know, articulate that the big difference is one of perspective of saying that, you know, I, when I think about philosophy or spirituality, I think of it as something that is essentially something that is pretty much something that is automatically uh, gathered, you know, derived from our being in the world. And that a lot of it is for us to become aware of what's happening implicitly. And once we do, of course, it doesn't mean we take it for granted. Of course, you know, like for instance, if we just simply took for granted our senses, we'd think the world is flat. So we do have, you know, some uh, paying attention to other sources of knowledge in order to balance that. But I'm saying that a rich foundation for understanding our place in the world, whether from a philosophical point of view or a spiritual point of view, is derived from paying attention to what is happening implicitly in our body through these bottom-up processes. And so uh, just uh, switch back to Larry. Well, I'm gonna have to, uh, you know, reconnoiter. I mean, that, that was uh, quite a profound statement, Serge. And uh, it's funny, we have not touched on this issue at all yet. And I think it's crazy, really, <laughs> that you brought this notion up, top down versus bottom up. I'm, I'm writing a book on, on all this and I'm, that's exactly what I'm working on right now. I'm working on, and, and what I'm engaged in is a debate between uh, Dan Zahavi, who's one of the most prominent uh, thinkers in phenomenology and Martin Heidegger. And I'm gonna argue that Zahavi, he, now Zahavi is the, one of the top uh, Husserl interpreters in the world. So it really is a debate between Husserl and Heidegger who I mentioned earlier. But I'm gonna argue that Zahavi puts forward a bottom-up perspective. And I'm, I'm arguing that that fails in philosophy. That, that position fails because uh, it fails in physics, okay? Physics, Cannot, physics, the idea there is to find those elementary particles and build it up. That doesn't work, okay? When they, Because when they go to the quantum level, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know what the physical is, the physicists, because when they dig deep to find those fundamental particles, all they find is things that violate the Newtonian laws. They find that everything's entangled, everything's related. You talk about uh, uh, we interact with the environment. Okay. Well, I just want oh, to geez. say, I love you. Yeah, so it fails in physics. It fails in mathematics because mathematics cannot be complete by Gödel's theorem. Okay. So uh, what Heidegger offers is a 
relational holism that incorporates everything you're talking about, I think. It, in, it incorporates relationality. You talk about an organism and, and the body, brain interacting with the world. That all fits, but we need more. Now, and I think you're, you're getting to that by saying, well, we need these perspectives. But uh, in order to understand our world, I think, best, we can't build up with these structures to get to some vision of the top. And that's really what I think stands in the way of uh, more openness to spirituality in the world. We think that everything can be explained by components. Uh, attention is des described as a, a mechanism, a brain mechanism. That's how people understand attention in philosophy because they've got that in, in science. I'm saying this, this pervades our whole, uh, the way science is understood, okay? Uh, it's understood as a, a simple brain mechanism and it's not a unified phenomenon. Whereas in fact, from the perspective that we live from the phenomenological, the whole picture perspective, the top down, if you will, attention is what unifies us. We are scattered, we live our lives scattered, dispersed, immersed in, in worldly activity. But if we were to gather ourselves and become whole, so I think we aspire to become whole. Attention can do that. So we get the exact opposite picture uh, uh, regarding what attention is when we understand that we can gather ourselves. That's what we want to do in the world. Again, okay, I agree. You know, I love everything you talk about. It's going to the implicit. And of course, we're both fellow Jenlin admirers. So I'm full. And, and Jenlin uh, is all about. Uh, coming to a whole whole understanding of our situation, right? That's what the felt sense is. It's, uh, we understand our situation, you know, we move toward that to try to come to that, articulate it. So this, this is just, we have not scratched the surface here. I just want to say, because, you know, every, I agree with everything you said, Serge, but so that just shows that uh, there's a lot of fertile area here. I'll turn yeah, it back yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, you're pointing out that um, we run into a wall if what we try to do is um, reduce everything to um, understandable material components, or essentially, if we try to make sense of the world uh, the same way that we would, um, say, take an engine apart and set aside all the pieces, and from there, uh, derive an understanding of, of how cars work. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about um, separating things uh, to find an understanding in um, separating little units. Um, I think, you know, when you, you, you mentioned the felt sense and you mentioned Jenlin, um, what the focusing, what Jenlin found uh, is the notion of this felt sense as giving us human beings a perception of the situation as a whole. So I think that um, what neuroscience have 
has done is essentially confirm that insight that um, through the, the bottom-up processes, our body, our organism, our brain perceive the world and essentially start articulating a response to it that is an implicit response, an unconscious response. And as we are in touch with the felt sense of it, essentially we are connected to that implicit response of the body to the situation outside. So that is not a unit by unit description of the situation of how we respond to it. It's actually a great simplification. One of the things that we are really becoming more familiar with, with the brain, with the mind, is the mind is essentially something that is oriented toward making decisions. The mind, the brain did not evolve to be um, a, a study group trying to write some kind of a white paper on the meaning of things, but it's action oriented. You know, people talk about the predictive ability of the brain. So uh, the, the function of the mind is in any given situation to identify the most likely um, success, successful response to that situation. And uh, fortunately, most of the time it works, but uh, it works essentially best in those situations that are more similar to the situation in which we evolved our current capacity. And when we're faced with situations that are uh, of a different order that are more complex, like situations in civilized life, often these predictions are not really necessarily accurate because they correspond to a different environment. So um, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit here, but the point I was trying to make is that what the, uh, our functioning, our functioning through the mind is essentially trying to have a predictive ability, which is simplifying things. You don't want 15 options. You don't want three, you don't want two. You just want one, you know, move forward, go away. You know, and, and obviously we have more options when the situation is safer, but the more intense the situation is, the more of a danger there is the more of a narrowing of choices, the more it's one thing. So essentially uh, there is a profoundly unifying quality to what we get from these bottom-up processes. And, and that's a situation that, uh, you know, overly simplified in order to permit action right in the moment. And so in fact, I'm not talking about you know, analyzing or cutting down in pieces, but I'm talking about connecting to that, you know, incredibly clear, super simplified reaction that we get from the bottom-up processes, being in touch with it, and then being able through mindful thinking to complement it. But the base of our, the foundation of how we orient ourselves in the world is that biological way of responding in a bottom-up way. 
So uh, just back to you, Larry. Well, what you described there is exactly in my, in my parlance, uh, how we attend to the world. There are various possibilities that we have and depending on uh, how emotionally charged they are, that definitely gets us to focus on whatever is needed. So I, I couldn't agree with you more about that whole intricate body work uh, that exists and that guides us and you know, in making our, our path in the world. Okay, so we're certainly 100% uh, clear there. But, but again, my perspective, your, your perspective is, is more, like I say, therapeutic, but what I'm looking for is how do we explain this to others? And, and again, getting back to that question of meaning, wh where do we find the meaning in our lives? Okay, that's, we're, we're all on a quest, right? And, uh, and we're, we're in difficult times. So how do we explain to people what the promise is of all this? That's what I think the role of philosophy is, is that uh, we have this intricate network, the body environment, generally calls it, okay, that has tremendous intelligence. Okay, but we're out of touch with it. We're obviously not living lives very intelligently, right? So we have this vast intelligence that you're talking about. We have to just get in touch with it. Yeah. But uh, how do we explain to others the need for this? And I think we, we have to ask the question of what's attention, because I think that's really what you were getting at there. You were saying that uh, you were talking about the very process of living in the world. And we live through And by the way, this is Heidegger through and through. Being in time, 1927, it's all about we're oriented to the future. You know, that uh, that's the temporality is being in time is there are not just static entities out there. We evolve, we unfold over time and the human being is oriented toward possibilities for being ourselves. So we're beings in a whole cosmos of being. I mean, it's it's hard to really explain, but it's a, so, such a simple notion being. But Heidegger's 102 volumes are about being. We are beings and we're in a larger situation. Being is a cosmic phenomenon. And that's where the meaning comes from. Okay, because why should we do all this? Why does all this stuff work? Well, Heidegger says, you know, it's not that they're component parts building up the cosmos. That's fail, that fails. So where's where's the answer then? Well, how do we explain to people where what this intricate uh, intricacy is that we in which we live? Because it's not physics. Okay, it, there's no way to build it up. How do we explain it? We have to start with where we are in the cosmos. It's either that or, or, or a holism. So this is really a way to argue for a holism that, that's a, a source of meaning. Because attention is intimate in Heidegger, and I have an article called Attention as a Way to Being that is uh, designed for Heidegger scholars, but being and the divine are intimately related. So Attention a way to being is a way of saying in Heideggerese, attention is the path to the divine. So that's the, gives us the global understanding that I think complements your approach. And I was going to say, you know, as usual, you know, you're, you're saying top down versus bottom up. You want to go bottom up. I, I say they, are, they interact. They're, they're very important, both. And it's the relation between the two. And again, it's relationality. That's, that's rock bottom.
it's not component parts. We're part of a whole and all the uh, entities within that whole are related to one another. He has an essay called Identity and Difference that we have this gathering that can unite us all, but we're all individual, separate, but related. And like I said, I think that's a way to understand the global situation better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so obviously, you know, there's a lot of overlap in what we talk about. And you, um, um, you're just talking about um, being, meaning, being, and also about attention. Um, and I would like to suggest, you know, at least from my perspective, I see um, notions like being and attention as being as two extremes, two sides of a, of a continuum. You know that I'm making up, not not trying to say that in some kind of a uh, logical uh, uh, way they belong at extreme, but I, I I am hearing them as as two two sides on a continuum, um, and the when we you talk about being or you talk about meaning. I think of it as large questions, questions about how do we, you know, um, kind of almost not quite metaphysical, but uh, very large questions. Um, and that, that, that open the door to traditional philosophical inquiries or spiritual inquiries. Who are we? Where are we going? What, you know, what's the meaning of life? Attention on the other hand, uh, you know, at the other end of the this spectrum that I'm just creating for the purpose of this moment, you know, attention is really focused in the moment. Attention does not exist uh, outside of the moment. And so um, the, in a way, you know, the reason I'm creating this, this continuum line is to say, when I am interested in questions of being or of meaning, I'm noticing that what happens in myself is a shift into a more intellectual mode. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I love discussing intellectual questions. I'm not making a point about, uh, you know, intellectual is bad, but it's a different mode. I go into, you know, talking about ideas. When I shift more toward the pole of attention, you know, it's attention is not something that exists, you know, in, in, in abstraction. Attention is I am paying attention to something. It's very concrete. It's very much in the moment. And so when I am in the moment paying attention to something, I have a different experience of myself. Um, when I'm in the more intellectual mode of paying attention to what is it like to, uh, to what is being or what is meaning, I am more up here. And when I am paying attention, I'm more grounded. I, my, my, my body is, is slowing down. Uh, there's more breath. There's more, um, there's more bandwidth of, um, of, of really noticing little nuances of moment by moment experience. I'm more focused on experience as opposed to thoughts. 
And of course, there is an interweaving. I mean, that's what makes us human. That's what makes, you know, this kind of thinking very wonderful and productive. But I'm just highlighting what I see as a difference between both. And I'm curious to see what your perspective on that would be. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I totally understand what you're saying about uh, uh, thinking about being in the abstract would lead you to uh, just uh, intellectual being brought up into the head and not being in the body. Uh, but Heidegger is uh, well aware of this. And uh, again, I'm saying that, you know, he, he actually uh, has a quote from uh, Parmenides that he, he actually thought about over the course of his career. And uh, in the end, he, there's a book called What is Called Thinking, where he says thinking is attention. Okay. And uh, the, the, thought, the, the, the quote from Parmenides is uh, basically attention and being are the same, thinking and being are the same, but he equates thinking with attention. So it, they are the same. This is this notion of being is he's overcoming the entire metaphysical tradition. One of the great things he does is he goes through the whole history. He has a whole history of metaphysics. And, and that would lead you down this path of ending up being an intellect and in, just intellectual and not really getting to the thing itself. And, but, uh, and one key, key way to think about this, how do we relate them? Well, Heidegger in his second magnum opus, he had this uh, being in time in 1927 would just put him on the world map, but he had another much uh, more, uh, I guess, uh, esoteric work in 1936 called Contributions to Philosophy. And on that first page, he says, I want to speak from my being, not about it. In other words, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't, we're not here to intellectualize. We want to be in that body, speak from the depths of our being. That's how we overcome metaphysics. So you're equating the quest with being rightly with the metaphysical tradition. It's been an idea bounced around forever but Heidegger comes from a spiritual perspective and and a pragmatic get it done living in the world kind of idea he's he's our friend is what I'm trying to tell you here and but this key idea is speaking from then we're not being metaphysical because we're we're speaking from the body we're staying well generally tells we stay in the body and we speak from the sense and then we try to further articulate the intricacy of our lives and how we feel in our situations. And let me tell you that Jenland was a Heidegger scholar and he got his best reception from Heidegger scholars as a philosopher. So they're very closely aligned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, the convergence um, is that sense of speaking from experience as opposed to about experience. And speaking from experience, of course, experience is embodied. It's not an abstraction. So speaking from experience also means speaking, being in touch, from being in touch with the body, um, from being in touch with embodied thinking. And from that place, there is less, if any, difference between thinking and paying attention. 
And in fact, that whole notion of contemplative thinking is really a sense of allowing. Mm. So um, that thinking is not necessarily cutting down into pieces, but it can be really the sense of staying with, contemplating, and letting the awareness come from our implicit processes instead of just from abstract constructions. And so where the convergence is, um, you know, is we're talking about philosophy or spirituality in a sense of making sense of the world. And so what we're articulating is the notion of being in the world, of being with our felt sense of being in the world, of allowing the, um, the sense to form and of letting it inform us. And from that, there is an emergence of making sense and an emergence of meaning as a felt sense, not meaning as an intellectual construct, but an emergence of meaning as something that comes from being with the world, being with ourselves and allowing that sense to emerge. Well, that's the answer, no more to say. This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.